I grew up with a bit of a broken family. I spent a little bit of time in a few different foster homes and uh, I really struggled with some things like uh, self-image. I struggled with uh, fitting in with school. I got involved in uh, drugs and alcohol and smoking and it was all just because I was just unhappy with myself and it just kind of filled that void that uh, I didn't really even know where it came from. I just, uh, one thing just kind of led to another and I just had lost control so bad that I didn't really have a way out. I just kind of felt like I had used all my options and um, that's when I really just kind of gave up. I felt like I was on autopilot a lot where I would just wake up complete what I needed to do for the day and then as soon as I was done I would just run back into my room and just I mean usually I just kind of got high and slept the day away so that's for the most part what I did and then uh, whenever I had to stop doing that I just like I couldn't return back to just back to being normal like I, I couldn't ever just put it down and just go out and try something else like once I once I got on on the drugs I really just that's it I just every single morning I'd wake up and I'd think about it and every night before I went to bed there was no chance I was falling asleep unless I had it so there were times where I wanted to just end it all but I didn't want it to be me like I wanted to like I don't know get hit by a car or just like run run away into the woods or I, didn't, I, ne I never wanted it to be me who did it. Because I don't know, maybe I was afraid of that. Well, happy Easter, everyone. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are so excited that you are here with us this morning. You know, much like Noah's story, and much like mine, and maybe even your own, great pain comes before victory. And as I was listening to Noah's story, you probably heard it. He talked about his life being on autopilot, where he went through his day, and then he went to sleep, and it was like rinse, wash, repeat. In fact, there were many days he felt like he couldn't even go to sleep without taking drugs. His life was so filled with pain and hurt that he said, I just wanted to end it all. Noah's life was hopeless. Have you ever been there? In fact, I feel like Noah was telling us, like, he just felt stuck. Have you ever been in a place where your life, where you felt like life was too much, it's too much to bear, I can't do, I can't endure, I just feel stuck? Well, today is Easter, and today is one of the greatest days of hope, and we're going to talk about what do you do? Have you ever been stuck? I have. In fact, when I was a youth pastor in Ohio, I, I was uh, serving there, and we were bringing a bunch of junior hires on an all-nighter. And so there we are driving around this 15-passenger van. It smells like pizza and B.O., and we are going from activity to activity. We start off going to this college gym, and there is a bunch of games there, and there's a speaker there, and then we go bowling, and then we're on our way to this huge sports complex where we're going to play football and basketball and dodgeball. And as we're going there, it's the middle of the night. It's around 2 o'clock in the morning. It's winter. And here is a Florida boy driving in the snow. 
and I take a turn a little too sharp, and I get our 15-passenger van stuck. And so there we are. And I'm doing everything I can to get unstuck. I start rocking the van like forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards. And I get all the junior hires out, and they push with all their junior high might. And the tires are just spinning, causing a rut, and there's no traction. Have you been there? Ever felt like you were not getting any traction in your life? You just felt stuck, maybe spiritually or physically or emotionally. Maybe this week you ran out of money. Maybe this week you had a fight with your spouse and you just felt like, I have no idea what's happening. Or maybe there's that habit in your life that you just can't seem to shake. So is there any hope for you? Is there any hope in this thing called Christianity? That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We're actually going to put it on the screen behind me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the backstory. Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth, and it is so messed up. There are people in this church that are fighting over, they're dividing over who is their favorite pastor. Some of them are saying, I follow this guy, no, I follow this guy, no, I follow this guy, and they're dividing over that. And there are people in this church that are coming to communion, which is supposed to be something where you remember Jesus dying on the cross, and they're coming to communion, and they're getting drunk. And this church is a hot mess Corinth is like the original sin city. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And it is a melting pot of people and cultures and religions and ideas. And so people are bringing all sorts of concepts to Corinth. Because if you want to go anywhere in the world, if you're going to trade or anything, you're going to have to pass through Corinth. And so there's some people in Corinth that they believe that when you die, you just disintegrate. You just turn into dust and poof, you're gone. There's some people in Corinth, they believe that you're, when you die, you are reincarnated. You're simply recycled into something or someone else. And the Greeks, they believe in dualism. They believe that the physical world and the physical body is bad and evil and the spiritual is good. And that when you die, you're freed from the physical and you're set free into the spiritual. And so the Corinthians are hearing this and they're struggling with this. It's a little confusing for them because they hear about how when you die and you're in Christ, you go into eternal life and you get a new body. And so they're thinking, okay, maybe I believe that Jesus died and he raised from the dead and he has a new body and he was resurrected. But I don't know about us. And when I say resurrection... I'm not talking about eternal life. I'm not talking about resuscitation. You just, like, Jesus didn't, like, flatline for a little bit, and then all of a sudden, like, in the movies, (gasps) came back. Like, no, he was dead, and new life happened. And so that's the background of 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start reading in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, 
we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. So Paul is saying, okay, he's building this logical argument, and he's saying, okay, if there is no resurrection, and you follow that logic to its logical end, then all of these other things are also not true. The apostles, they're preaching. It's useless. Tim, your preaching is pointless. And I'll be the first one to say, if there's no resurrection, I'll be the first one out those doors, and I'm never coming back. Paul says, if there's no resurrection then there's no forgiveness. There's no freedom in your sin. Your faith is pointless. And the apostles, they're a bunch of fat liars. And there's no hope. And when he's talking about there's, there's no hope here, he's saying there's no resurrection. If you, if you have a gospel without a resurrection, all we have is a dead rabbi. He says your faith is useless. It's like a screen door on a submarine or an ashtray on a motorcycle or like me using a comb. It's just useless. And so next, he says, the apostles, if there's no resurrection, they're a bunch of liars. Look at verse 15 here. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses, meaning they've been detected, they've been caught to be liars, now, I just want to stop here and talk to the skeptic. And maybe you're here, and you didn't really want to come, but somebody dragged you here, or somebody was relentless. They just kept asking and kept asking and kept asking, and you're finally like, fine, just to get you off my back, I'll come. And you're here, and you're not really sure about this Christianity thing. You're not really sure about this Jesus. You're just here. It's Easter. So is there any evidence that Jesus actually lived and died, and rose from the grave. Well, first of all, you need to know that there are, it's filled with the New Testament, and all of extra biblical writers, people outside of the Bible, all talk about that Jesus was a real person and died. And there's also non-believers, people like Josephus, who wrote about Jesus being alive and dying. Okay, Tim, what about the empty tomb? Well, the thing you need to know is that the people who found the tomb to be empty were a bunch of women. Now, I'll be the first to admit that all of the women here are smarter than me, okay? But in the first century, men were educated and women were not. And in the first century, they would have believed a woman's testimony to be worthless. So the idea of making up a story and creating that where women find the empty tomb it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, if you're making up the story, you're going to write the story in such a way that men find the tomb to be empty. They say, all right, what about him coming back to life? Well, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. In fact, in one part of the New Testament, he appears to over 500 people that they see him, they talk with him, they interact, they eat, and they drink with him. 
And then the disciples, they were willing to die. They were willing to be martyred for him. So maybe it's possible that these disciples are lying. But let me ask you this. How many people do you know are willing to die for something they believe is not true? There's a lot of people out there who will die for things that aren't true, but that they know something is a lie, and then they're willing to die for it. That's not very likely. We'll say maybe they hallucinated. Well, it's not really likely that all of them had the same exact hallucination, and they all spent time with him, they all ate with him, and they all drank with him, and some of them touched him. And so the reality is, there is evidence that Jesus was alive, that he died on the cross, that the tomb was found empty, that people saw him, and that they were willing to die for him. And so that's just a sliver of evidence that Jesus really did raise himself from the grave. So, logically, Paul is building this argument to say, okay, if you're going to say there's no resurrection, then all these other things have to be true, including the apostles are liars. Therefore, if the apostles are telling the truth, then there is a resurrection. So the first point I want you to get is this right here. If Jesus rose, then your faith is useful and true. If Jesus really did raised from the grave, then your faith is useful and true. Then in verse 17, it says that you are still in your sins. If there's no resurrection, then you're still in your sins. Okay, Tim, what is, what is the idea of sin? I don't really understand that. It sounds like church talk. Okay, let me explain it this way. Imagine me and Tom Brady and maybe even Pat Mahomes, we have a contest, okay? Who can throw a football from here to the Pennsylvania border? Now, I can throw a Nerf football like nobody's business, all right? These guys don't really stand a chance. But imagine they show up, and we have this contest. Some of these guys are going to fall short, including myself, right? It doesn't matter how good of a quarterback they are or how great of a Nerf footballer I am. We are going to miss that target, we're going to fall short. And here's what the Bible says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning some of you are really good people, and you do a lot of nice things. But the reality is we all have sinned, and we all fall short of that perfect, holy standard of God. Man, that sounds like bad news, Tim. Thanks for ruining my Sunday. It gets better. Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Oh. Okay, so here's what that means. If you have ever worked, if you have ever earned money, you are earning a wage. And with sin, I earn separation from me and God. And so here is me, here is us, and here is God. And we are separating ourselves with our sins. But... The gift of God is eternal life. Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. That is the good news. He conquered sin and he conquered death. And when you place your faith in Christ, 
When you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, when you ask Jesus to be your savior, he cancels that debt. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And so here's the next point. If Jesus rose, you have freedom from sin. If Jesus really did raise from the dead and you put your faith in Christ, the hope that you and I have is we have freedom from that sin. I'm not saying you'll be perfect. I'm not saying that all those bad habits will drop like that. But we will have freedom. If you're in Christ, you do have that freedom. That's the good news So Paul's not holding back here. He's putting together this logical argument. If there is no resurrection, then all these things, all these ridiculous things are also true. But he's saying that to all these Christians who know, okay, these things are true. Therefore, so is the resurrection. Last point. If Jesus rose, you have eternal hope. So Paul's been building this argument If the resurrection is not true, then all these other things logically have to also not be true. And you and I, as we hear this, as we look at God's word, we know these things are true. The resurrection brings hope. I want to show you how he finishes this. Look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Two words that stick out. But Christ. But Christ. Everything hinges on those two words. I was lost, but Christ. I was feeling hopeless, but Christ. I was stuck in my sin, but Christ. I was overwhelmed with my life. It felt meaningless and pointless. And like Noah, I wanted it to end, but Christ. Jesus is the hope of the world. And so if you're here this morning, you're wondering, okay, Tim, how do I get unstuck? How do I put my life in his hands? Well, first, let me tell you how we got unstuck. Maybe some of you are wondering, is that van still stuck there? It's not. Well, there we were in that 15-passenger van, and we had literally tried everything. We tried rocking it forwards and backwards. We tried pushing it. In fact, one junior hire ran and got a snow shovel out of someone's yard, and we started digging out the snow. We returned the shovel. And we weren't getting any traction at all. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, comes this bigger guy. He's walking down the street. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. He's wearing shorts, a cutoff T-shirt, tattoos, cigarette hanging out of his mouth, And he just gets behind the van and just kind of like gives it a gentle push and it comes free. I have no idea what was going on, but we were stuck, we were hopeless, and we weren't getting any traction. But we needed some help. 
And so, for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, the darkness meets light where once seemed like the worst days would be our final days. Jesus declares new life. Let me say that again. For those who put their faith in Jesus, the darkness meets light, and where it once seemed like the worst days would be our final days, Jesus declares new life. But don't take my word for it. Let's see how Jesus changed everything for Noah. Let's look at the rest of Noah's story. Um, It wasn't until I was at work having a really bad night where this older lady uh, seen how much I was struggling and she kind of pulled me aside and uh, she decided that she was going to pray for me. And I hadn't had that happen in a very long time. I had kind of forgotten about God. And um, after she did that, it was kind of in my head for the next few weeks. And she kept coming to see me and she kept praying for me. It made me feel a lot better. I actually started looking forward to those nights. I kind of was really curious about God. Like I started uh, growing interest in going into church and my dad started dating this girl and she was regular at Bridgewater. So she was very comfortable with inviting people. And um, my dad was a little afraid to go by himself, I feel like, and he decided that we could go as a family. And that wasn't something that I had done in a long time. So I went and uh, the message that day was something that really spoke to me. I, it was one of those sweaty, sweaty church messages where I was just kind of like, oh no. And I thought about it for the whole week until Sunday came around again and they asked again and I definitely wanted to go after that. I, I worked up the courage to pull one of the pastors aside and tell him about what I was struggling with and they gave me uh, this wonderful small group. After I was going for a while, I really started to accept that God had a plan for me and I didn't have control and I wanted to surrender, so I asked him to become my personal savior and uh, after that, I was filling out a form to get baptized. I felt like I didn't want to be the person I was anymore and I wanted to really commit myself. I wanted to be a godly man. A lot of the scripture that I read about like being created in God's image really speaks to me because uh, I just kind of sit there in awe and I'm like, wow. Like He went through all that trouble and it's a psalm, but it talks about um, you're woven. Like he, he, you're woven in your mother's womb. My small group leader was telling me that the Hebrew word is embroidered. And it's not just that you're woven, so it's like you're actually, he's actually taking a lot of time with you and he's really considering like your whole future and like uh, that just yeah, that, that one really hit home like I, I it sunk in and I was like just thinking and uh, I hadn't really had anyone value me like that before and uh, I, I just I was very grateful and I just like if somebody is gonna love me that much then I really want to love them back I'm just to have found a family at a church like this.